I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the movie, movie lovers. lovers. Welcome to the Hi. official podcast of the Gibson Review. Each week, we tell you about our weekend review, and then move on to our main event, which is either a main review or a topic of discussion, and then close the episode with Film Faves, our list of our 12 favorite movies about a particular topic. In this episode, our main event will be our fall movie preview. That's right, we'll be looking ahead at the movies coming up in the next three months. For us, the fall is September, October, and November. And then our film faves will be counting down our favorite movies of 2008, which is a very exciting episode. But first, before we start with our weekend review, the summer is ending. Can you believe it's that time already, Shanna? Yes, it's time for the kids to go back to school. Bye-bye now. Yes, and it's been an interesting summer, hasn't it? What do you think about the um, the the summer season for movies? Well, so far I've enjoyed it. There's been crap, and then there's been really, really good stuff. So I am very much looking forward to fall, especially after I looked at what you sent me. And this is going to be a really cool year in general. Yeah, you know, I think there's been summer seasons where... There's a lot of tentpole movies, a lot of franchises, and most of them end up really sucking. And I feel like while there's been some movies that we've reviewed on on the podcast that I've been a little underwhelmed by compared to uh, you, I think in general there's been a lot more good films throughout the, throughout the weeks in the summer. There's a lot of movies we still have yet to catch up with, like The Bad Batch. The Bad Batch, Beatrice at Dinner, a lot of other B movies apparently. <laughs> I'm really depressed. The that Big Sick. One. Yeah, The Big Sick is another one I'm really excited to catch up with, uh, which was kind of a, a indie hit of the summer. But yeah, so so long to summer and hello to the fall. But first, bye bye sh- kids. Hello, snacks not being in the pantry. <laughs> Snack time for adults. (laughs) Well, Shanna, why don't you tell us a little bit about your week in review? I started re-watching Boston Legal, and this is a television series about lawyers uh, who are taking on different cases each week. Uh, Well, I guess each episode. And sometimes there's continuation happening and sometimes there isn't. So it's a little bit of everything. So it's not so episodical. And I really love how each character develops throughout the show. And it stars James Spader with William Shatner. Mm -hmm. And then um, the woman from Murphy Brown, is that Candace? Candace Bergen, yes. She comes uh, about episode five. There are numerous guest appearances. You have the brother-in-law from Breaking Bad. Oh, yes, I forgot his name right now, but Dean Norris. Dean Norris. Oh, very good, honey. This will be a pop quiz now. (laughs) And you have the woman with the blonde hair who ends up with Sawyer in Lost. Oh, not Maggie. Elizabeth Mitchell, who I love. She's awesome. She's a crazy ex-girlfriend. Oh, great. No, it was really good because she's subtle too. Okay. And it was just fantastic. And then you have Agent from Fringe. 
who was going to propose to Olivia. Was that Joshua Jackson? The guy that was no. uh, Pacey and... No, the blonde one. Oh, Anna Torv? I wasn't a big fan of French. I can only remember the three main people. Anyway, it. there are so many guest appearances. You know the, the actor from Certain Woman who is the difficult man with the sandstone? Oh, René Abagenois. He He's in there. He's His in there. name is so French, I just kind of blow right through it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun opportunity for you. But he's in there. He's one of the main characters. Oh, really? And I just love the comedy and the, st- the stupidity sometimes. And, you know, you've got these lawyers, and lawyers are very serious people. Mm. They they just they don't jerk around, really. Mm. And they when they do laugh, it's really fun and entertaining. I have a few lawyers in my life. And... When I see this show, like, they'll do certain things, and I'll be like, oh, my God, that's exactly what they do. And then there'll be moments where I'm like, I don't know if they do that, but I like it. So it's really fun. So how many seasons were there? I believe there were four or five. I think the writer's strike hit them hard on one of the seasons, Uh, I believe. That's such a great show, and I only have season one, so. Oh, you only watched season one. Have you seen the rest I've of the series? I've seen the whole thing, but I'm rewatching. Is there one season that you recall is n- like not as good as the rest? No, I believe I enjoyed all the seasons. Okay. And what's interesting is this show started in 2004 and it ended in 2008. Uh, sometimes what's interesting is there will be a case about someone who identifies as a male who likes to dress in feminine clothes. And he is also a fantastic Santa. Um, all these families, you know when a family sees a particular Santa at a mall, they go to that particular Santa every year. Well, he's got a very great reputation for this, and so they take on his case. And so some of the verbiage is completely different. What do you mean? Well, they criticize this man for wanting to wear feminine clothes. And right now, especially the past oh. year, I mean, that's been made acceptable. That's been made... So the, the TV show is criticizing the guy, or is his case built around people criticizing him? Yeah, but it also I also feel like sometimes television has a responsibility of showing issues in our society. Yeah. Um, but also trying to rise above it. So sometimes I feel uncomfortable where I'm like, oh, but that's not how life is So anymore. sometimes the series is a little dated? Yes. Okay. But I guess it's good evidence of establishing a timeline of how humans are evolving, mm. how society is evolving. Mm. But just so that people are aware, there are certain aspects of the show that do date it. Interesting. So. Okay. So that's Boston Legal. And uh, that was the first season that you saw. Yes, a comedy drama. Excellent. How about your Week in Review? I have a very minimal Week in Review as well. The only thing that I'll talk about is I finally got around to watching my box set of um, the Criterion Collection of Before Trilogy. I got that for him. Just saying. Yeah, she's the best. So this is uh, three films directed by Richard Linklater that were uh, created in partnership with Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy every nine years. The last film came out in 2013 and it follows basically this relationship with this couple. 
it's a really, really great uh, series of romance films. If you like love stories that are more than convention, more than following a formula, and is very dialogue-driven, and all about you know saying something about love and relationships and time, then you'll definitely enjoy these movies, and uh, you should seek them out any way possible. But on the Criterion collection is a number of really great features. One is a video essay by Richard Linklater that's kind of cool that uses clips and dialogue from the before films, and uh, that's, that's kind of poignant and kind of cool. But also there's a full... Oh, what is it? I want to say it's an hour, 40-minute feature about Richard Linklater and his career. And, you know, if you're not familiar with Linklater, this is a really great way to familiarize yourself because he has been working since the early 90s as an active uh, director. His debut film was an indie film called Slacker that I haven't seen yet, but that was one of the first movies to really push forward the the indie uh, revolution, so to speak, in the in the 90s, you know, where all of a sudden all these filmmakers were coming about that were not studio, yeah, not studio-backed uh, filmmakers. They were doing it themselves, and they were making very interesting, innovative films. Uh, I think Soderbergh, Steven Soderbergh, and... The guy who directed uh, Only Lovers Left Alive, I'm blanking on his name right now. I think those two did it uh, before with uh, Stranger in Paradise and Sex, Lies, and Videotape. But then Richard Linklater came along too. And then all of a sudden you had people like Robert Rodriguez, Kevin Smith, Quentin Tarantino, all these people that came within a couple years after. It's a really interesting change to directing. Yeah, so... But since then, Richard Linklater, he's directed a huge variety of films and makes him a very interesting director. He's, he's done not only the before films, but he did Dazed and Confused, which I think was his second film and it's his first studio film. And a lot of people love that uh, movie quite a bit. It's not one of my favorites, but a lot of people hold that in high regard. Then you got... Um, in no particular order, you have School of Rock, you have the Bad News Bears remake, you have... Um, what is the Bad News Bears? Oh. Is it an animation? No, no, no. That's a, 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 a youth softball movie. Uh, the original starred Walter Matthau as this sort of uh, grumpy, this kind of grouchy coach, you know, who takes on these kids, and it's a very foul-mouthed team. Well, Linklater remade it to mediocre success with Billy Bob Thornton oh, God. about uh, ten years ago. I thought, but that's uh, not a really great example of his work. He did Bernie. Uh, he, oh, Bernie's awesome. Right. Yeah, he's done a, a lot of movies. I think he, I counted he did seven, he's done 17 films so far in the past 25 years. And so it kind of dawned on me he's a really... He's one of our best directors right now. He's definitely a director to keep an eye out. He never, you know, not all of his movies work. Most of the time, there's always something interesting and something different 
from what you're getting conventionally uh, from everything else out there. So that's about that's about all I'll say about that. Just I highly encourage you to look for his work on any of your local streaming services. Okay, let's talk about our week in review now. We saw we finally caught up with this past uh, spring's film Free Fire, which we were kind of looking forward to. We had seen the trailers for months before almost every single movie that well, we were I watching. I loved that Shalto Copley was like totally South African in every way. Right. So this is a film that is directed by Ben Wheatley, and it stars Shalto Copley, Brie Larson, Army Hammer, and a good handful of other people. And basically, it's about two groups doing a, an arms deal, like a, a gun running exchange. Yes. And everything goes wrong within like to- 10 minutes of the exchange. And the entire film is basically a shootout. Yes. Right. So what did you think of this movie, Shanna, after months of anticipation and looking forward to it? Well, I loved Shelter. Um, I love the little South Africanisms that were coming through. I do miss it sometimes, the South Africanisms, so it's good to hear it every now and again, and I'm glad that they're bringing it into mainstream, because I feel like it's one of those countries that doesn't get talked about, doesn't get noticed, and it's good that it can through movies. Mm. Well, I think they actually changed the character to suit Shalto, like when he was cast... They changed his nationality to be South African, which I think is is better for Shalto, rather than constantly trying to hide his accent or who he is or whatever, just kind of embracing his South Africanness yeah. and integrating it or peppering the film with it. Yeah. When he says a couple things that I don't think a lot of people would understand unless they mm. were South African or exposed to South Africans. Right. I also really enjoyed Brie Larson, but oh yeah, we're big, big Brie Larson fans. She's had a, a great past five years. Yeah, she's good in anything she does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I liked Army Hammer quite a bit mm-hmm. in the film. Who is not a guy who's had really much of a break in terms of his his film choices um, being very successful. You know, he he first kind of came onto the scene uh, as the twins in the social network. And since then, you know... <laughs> Those weren't twins? Yeah, no, that was him playing two different people and two brothers, and they composited his face on one of the, one of the two. But since then, you know, he's done things like The Lone Ranger and a couple of things that, like, were intended, clearly, to really take his career to the next level. That's that so just, weird. I'm sorry. Just, I'm yeah. just stuck on the whole social network thing. <laughs> Why you wouldn't serious? you just find twins? I just... Well, because you have Army Hammer, and he was great. I'm just... I'm so baffled right now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so it was... I would recommend it. Yeah? You free know, Fire, you mean? Yeah, it was an easy... It was an easygoing film. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, people are shooting each other, but... Sure. It wasn't highly intense... Yeah. watching it, which right. I enjoyed, because sometimes you don't need that. Yeah. I, it, it's a fun film. If you like Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs, and it's pretty much like the third act of Reservoir Dogs, only with way more people, I found it 
fun, but fairly forgettable. You know, it's just it's just like something that you know you watch to kill time or have fun with, and you know there's not a whole lot more to it. I do wish that the the geography of where people were were better established because sometimes it was a little hard to tell where people were once they all scatter. Like where is everybody in relation to each other? Uh, sometimes that could be a little hard to tell, but that and uh, and its general sense of frivolousness is my only criticism. Especially being a movie that we were looking forward to for so long. It's like, yeah, that was it. All right. Move on. You know. So I, I, I would give it maybe a 6 out of 10. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. Yeah? You liked it just about as much? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't go and watch it again. Oh, you know, really? Especially if I compare it to something. Maybe, maybe in like once every three years. Okay. Which, <laughs> you know, is insane. Mark much it much. on the calendar. In three years. <laughs> Like, some, if you compare it to something like Wolf of Wall Street, I want to watch that all the time. And I know it's a completely different vibe. Well, and, and you you and I differ strongly on, on our feelings for that movie. You, I don't need to talk to you about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, something that, yeah, I guess I'd want to watch Reservoir Dogs every year, mm. comparatively. Mm. So. Interesting. Yeah, so that was uh, Free Fire, which uh, you can rent on Amazon right now. And then we also watched, I showed you, John Woo's The Killer, starring Chow Yun-Fat and I believe Danny Lee, which is a film from the early 90s? No, late 80s, if I remember correctly. I feel John Woo had a much better career in China than he did when he crossed over to the States. In the States, when he crossed over, he did... I think he did a Van Damme movie, and then he did Broken Arrow with Christian Slater and, and John Travolta, okay. and Howie Long, who many football fans will know. And then he did Face Off, and a couple... I think, I think he did a couple <laughs> movies of that. A lot of people in the States love Face Off. Yeah. I think that movie is beyond ridiculous. I really tried to see the appeal revisiting it in recent years and uh it's not i don't think it's great but the twins in the social network is fun for you yeah are you kidding me it's <laughs> way better <laughs> jeez there's a comparison but i feel like you know if you watch hard boiled or the killer they're just so much different and 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 a little yeah there's some cheese factor i think occasionally in in this in the case of the killer I think you, you no, have some honey, thoughts on that. Honey, there were like three cheese pasta. <laughs> like, there was a lot of cheese. And what I said to Jeff was, it's like that typical foreign cheese, foreign film cheese, where you see this kind of cheesy dramaness in a lot of Bollywood films, where mm. it's just overdone, and it's just, oh God, it's so terrible. But yeah. it's kind of funny, and it kind of becomes a quirk of a foreign film, and I was just surprised... Kind of. I was surprised that it was the same with this film. Mm. I was like, okay, it must be. Now I'm going to say it's a foreign thing, yeah. not necessarily a Bollywood thing. Yeah, I mean, there are moments where he does get a little melodramatic with his camera work. And and <laughs> also really weird, he does this really weird thing where he, like, freeze frames. 
um, like these moments that are like moments that you would normally just move on. Well, and he pops grain into them too, so oh, it's yeah. no longer smooth. Yeah, he pops the grain, and usually that's like a transition into the credits. So I kept thinking, oh, we're done, <laughs> and we're not. So yeah, but it would be yeah, it would be at this really weird moments where all it is is a close up of the character, and then it would cut to another character, do a close up, and then freeze frame that character, and then it would move on with the story, and it's yeah. just like. What the I, hell, man? I feel like what their faces were doing in that particular moment was was fine. You just, yeah. hold, you just hold the camera there for a second or two. Right. And I would have been fine. I didn't need the whole still picture, right. pop the grain. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that aside, you know, I really think the that the story about a cop who is chasing after an assassin who is being chased after by... His boss, basically, his boss is sending other assassins after him to kill him because he he kind of had a, a moment of conscience when he inadvertently wounded a woman that he was protecting. Um, I found that story actually really compelling, and and I think that story really works well. You know, you have the cop and the assassin teaming up essential eventually, and the action's really cool. You gotta remember, like. You'll see Chow Won, Chow Yun Fat with the two two gun the two guns you know shooting, and that was something that influenced some of '90s action movies for a while there too, where it just looked really cool to have someone firing two guns at the same time and maybe diving and all that sort well, of and stuff. I feel like it's not actually a realistic thing to do. I feel like it wastes bullets. Not. <laughs> and, unless you're stinking good and yeah. you're firing one, one, one. One. Right. But, like, he's doing gung, 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 gung. <laughs> and it's at the same person, and it's like, how many bullets do you oh, put in that person? Yeah, that is kind of hilarious. Like, he... <laughs> Joey on that, We're out of bullets! He'll put, I like, why. an entire round into one guy, and then turn around and put another entire round into another guy. And we're cooking, <laughs> and we're petting, and you loaded. It's just like... You you watch yeah. it, and you're like, dude, like, you shot him three times already. He's like the worst The guy's assassin. definitely dead. Because he needs to put, like, ten bullets in the person to oh, yeah. make sure. And remember, well, yeah, remember there's, there's a particular scene where he shoots somebody in the head. And then the, the, he, the, the, the person falls, and he feels the need to shoot him again in the arm and again in the back. It's like... Sounds so weird. <laughs> Maybe there's some sort of hidden ritual in Asian uh, culture. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Well, I like to do the benefit of the doubt sometimes. I saw, I saw a ritual in, in killing people <laughs> exorbitantly. Head, arm, chest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, so would you agree that it's a little bit of uh, a fun uh, fun movie to check out? Yeah. What did you think of The Killer Oh, in general? Did you, did you enjoy it? I enjoyed the main actor, and I mm-hmm. actually forgot to mention that I did watch Memoirs of a Geisha by oh. Steven Spielberg. Well, was he in that too? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was one of the main... Well, no, he was one of the supporting actors. Okay. And it was nice to see him again. I quite enjoy him. He's definitely, like, charming looking, mm. kind of like a George Clooney. Mm-hmm. So... You're saying he's like the Asian George Clooney? Yeah. <laughs> You know, he just has to appear on the screen and you're, like, happy about it. Mm. Yeah, so that's John Woo's The Killer, which uh, you can find Blu-ray and DVD copies of on on Netflix. I think you might be able to rent it on Amazon as well, but we didn't go 
that route. Alright, so that is our week in review. Let's move on to the main event, our fall movie preview. Preview, preview, preview. <laughs> so, like I mentioned before, for us, uh, fall starts after Labor Day, through September, October, and after Thanksgiving weekend, so through November. Okay. So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to go through all the releases for every week in a, in a particular month, do one month at a time, and we'll talk about which films we're looking forward to most. But check this out. This is a very exciting fall season. Okay? We got the following... We have a long list of established, well-respected directors bringing out movies. Listen to this list. Darren Aronofsky, Mark Forrester, Matthew Vaughn, David Gordon Green, Stephen Frears, Doug Lyman, Denis Villeneuve, Martin Campbell, Tomas Alfredson, Yogos Lanthimos, Taika Waititi, Richard Linklater, Rob Reiner, Joe Wright, Ron Shelton. It's just, you have everybody except Martin Scorsese and Steven Spielberg, and even then, Steven Spielberg's coming out with a movie in December. Uh, so, it's, Is that the game one? No, that's something called The Papers. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, it's very exciting fall season. So, let's go through and talk about what's coming out week by week. And, Shanna, I'll ask you first which movies you're excited about after doing so, okay? So, we have, in September, on the week of the 8th, we have Stephen King's It... We Which have. I'm not touching. <laughs> yes, you, you're trying very hard to avoid avoid that one. Yes, every time that I think it's going to come on as a trailer in the movie house, I'm ready to walk out and then come back in later. <laughs> so, blowing through the next movies, we have Home Again, starring Reese Witherspoon and Candace Bergen. 9-11, starring Charlie Sheen and Whoopi Goldberg. Gunshy, directed by Simon West, with Antonio Banderas. American Assassin is the following weekend with Michael Keaton, Sana Lathan, and Dylan O'Brien, and Taylor Kitsch. All I See Is You, directed by Mark Forrester with Blake Lively. Darren Aronofsky's Mother has an exclamation point. Mother! With Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem as a married couple, which I think is a very odd married couple, given that they're like 20 years difference. I mean, you shouldn't. Mm, it's always weird on screen when that happens. It's like, why does the older man always get the younger woman in movies? Anyway, moving on. Kingsman, the Golden Circle, is the following week. We have the Lego Ninjago movie. David Gordon Green's film, Stronger. David Gordon Green, who did the film Joe with Nicolas Cage a few years ago. And he's done several other films. Battle of the Sexes, directed by Dayton and Ferris of Little Miss Sunshine, starring Emma Stone and Steve Carell. Victoria and Abdul, directed by Stephen Frears, who did The Queen. Wait, I'm and sorry. That was that was Emma Stone. In Battle of the Sexes, yes. Yeah. yeah. I did not recognize her a single bit. Good job. Yeah, she plays Billie Jean King, who you might not be too familiar with, but that's a real a real person who was a, a, a big figure in 70s tennis. And also referenced in the La Tigre song, Hot Topic, by the way. 
Anyway, Victoria and Abdul is directed by Stephen Frears, who did The Queen and High Fidelity. That stars Judy Dench and Eddie Izzard. And we have Jeepers, Jeepers Creepers 3 and American Maid, which is Doug Liman's latest film starring Tom Cruise. And the remake to Flatliners, starring Ellen Page and Nina Dobrov and Kiefer Sutherland from the original. So, Shanna, what movies from September are you looking forward to most? So I'm looking forward to American Made. I feel like I'm holding out all hope that it's going to be my new Wolf of Wall Street crazy true story thing happening. Oh, okay, interesting. I'm also looking forward to Victoria and Abdul. I love Judy Dench. She will be playing Queen Victoria. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested in seeing this relationship between the two of them. I have been watching a lot of monarchy things lately, documentaries, short clips. So I'm very curious how this is going to be portrayed. And I, I did enjoy the film about Victoria when she was essentially falling in love. And I think it was... Oh, with Emily Blunt? Yes. Uh, Young Victoria. Victoria. Young Victoria was really fun for me um, and interesting, so I'm, I really think I'm going to like this one. It looks like a lot of com- comedic moments. I'm curious how they're going to work the, the nuances of the imperialism, of, yes. of British imperialism in India there. I mean, there's some, there's some things that have to be walked on a, tight, a fine line there, you know? It can't be too cutesy and and just kind of brush over and ignore like the imperialist aspect and i was wondering because i can't remember we learned this in school as kids this was a huge part of our history curriculum and i cannot remember when india gained independence Mm -hmm. so i'm wondering if it's going to incorporate this i mean that would be ideal uh but then again you know you never know what the road to independence is like it's not always comedic moments about a mango being off. So Right, right. if you've seen the trailer, <laughs> you get that reference. Yeah. And I'm also, my third one that I'm looking forward to is Woodshock, and that's purely for the visuals. Mm. Um, I thought you might be, yeah. I might feel a little sick after a while because <laughs> double exposure, it's really all the rage mm. where, you know, you put two images on top of each other. Mm-hmm. It didn't get used a lot throughout the history of photography and it's only been recently the last mm. couple of years where people people are going insane with it because they've made it such a way yeah. that people can do it easily for themselves and i guess it was interesting what images they were combining and then when you said it was made it's being made by two fashion designers yes they are let me look up their names again okay yeah they are the Malivi sisters who apparently were designers behind the Road Dart brand. Are you familiar with that? I mean, if I saw it, I'd probably know what it is. Okay. I'm not very good with names, but... And I know shit about fashion industry. You know, fashion industry people have a very interesting way of looking at things, and they're mm-hmm. always kind of forced to look at things in a new way, but also create mm-hmm. their own style very quickly. Otherwise, they don't really survive. Mm. So it's going to be a very interesting piece of work, I feel. It looks like, you know, it stars uh, Kirsten Dunst, and this was a movie that was not included in the initial list I just read through, but it uh, it looks like it's Kirsten Dunst kind of doing a mix of 
It could be like Tom Ford mixed with Lars von Trier, you know? It has that aesthetic that if it kind of feels like Kirsten Dunst is doing Melancholia again, only through, you know, I, I mean, it's a different story completely, yeah. but it has that look to it, yeah. you know, with a fashion designer's eye. And, and it has something to do with a drug, uh, too, apparently. Uh, well, I was going to say it's either, you know, very druggy or it's very... Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> like sort of split personality or multiple personality disorder or something like that. Mm-hmm. Because, it, as I said earlier, it's not a common... It was not a common technique, and it was used sparingly mm-hmm. previously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, for me, I am looking forward to... I think the Kingsman sequel, Kingsman, The Golden Circle... Even though I've seen the trailers ad nauseum in the, the theaters, I'm tired of it. Oh, and I'm sorry, you said you're looking forward to it? Yeah, like, I, I feel like I'm Jeff sick and... Uh, bitches all the time yeah. when that trailer comes on. Because I'm tired of seeing the trailer. I just want to see the movie at this point. But I think the, the idea and the conceit of there being an American version of the Keensman is kind of cool and interesting, and I'm very intrigued by the cast. The, there is something that is revealed in the trailer that mildly annoys me because it undoes something major that happens in the first movie. And so I'm going into it a little suspicious of how how that's going to play for me, but eh, it'll probably be a lot of fun in general, that movie. I'm also looking forward to... I did not think I would say this, but the Lego Ninjago movie. Um, so someone has kidnapped my husband, and he is being impersonated right now. Help. <laughs> so here's the thing. I couldn't give two shits about Ninjago. I, I don't know anything about it. I couldn't, I never cared at all about that line of Lego. But I saw the trailer, and I'm intrigued. It has, it seems to have the same level of, of, of that, the same style and that same humor as the Lego movie and the Batman Lego movie. And that's all I need to, to convince me. Just watch the trailer. That was enough to, to hook me and get me interested in that movie. And then I'm also interested in the Battle of the Sexes. I really, really like 2006's Little Miss Sunshine by Dayton and Ferris, who were, at the time, prior to that, just music video directors. Not just. I'm oh, not that's fun. But they, they, I feel like they really proved themselves with Little Miss Sunshine, and I don't think I've seen much from them since. And this story, which stars Emma Stone and Steve Carell, both who have proved themselves countless times over the past few years, really interests me. I'm very intrigued watching the trailer. I think it's, it could be a really great movie, or it could be one of those where one performance outshines the other, but I'm interested in, in finding out, for sure. Okay, so that's September. Oh, in addition, like just really quickly, I don't know if there's anything else that you want to give quick shout-outs to. Just really quick shout-outs. I'm interested in... I'm mean, really quickly. I'm also curious about David Gore Green stronger. I feel like the trailer goes in one direction that feels un, uh, emotionally nuanced and kind of moves me, but then it it has a potential to go into this other inspirational direction. So we'll see about that. And then Grunda Chada's film. It's, it's it's actually 
in limited release. It's coming out actually Labor Day weekend, so just just outside our purview, but it probably will open wide later. Viceroy's House? I don't know anything about it. I just know it's directed by Gorona Chata. Oh, I didn't so. even know there was something like that coming, so we'll just go find that. Yeah. Uh, was there anything else you want to give a quick shout-out to before we move on to October? Uh, not for September, I guess. Okay. Uh, same as you with Kinsman. Yeah. So, October, however, we have... In the first week of October, of course, October is always a big horror month, and there's definitely a lot of interesting things happening with with that. But we got Blade Runner 2049, directed by Denis Villeneuve, starring Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford. The Mountain Between Us, starring Idris Elba and Kate Winslet as two people stuck on a mountain. My Little Pony, the movie. This is based on the recent run of cartoons. The Friendship is Magic series. Right. Then we have The Florida Project, directed by Sean Baker, who did Tangerine a couple years ago. That stars Willem Dafoe. And then the following week, we have Happy Death Day. It's like the Groundhog Day of horror movies. The Foreigner, directed by Martin Campbell, who did The Mask of Zorro and Goldeneye uh, 20 years ago. That stars Jackie Chan and Pierce Brosnan. Well, that's going to be fun. Marshall. That's about Thurgood Marshall. That stars Chadwick Boseman and Josh Gad and Kate Hudson. Breathe, which is Andy Serkis' directorial debut, I believe, starring Andrew Garfield and Claire Foy. Uh, Andrew Garfield is a guy who becomes paralyzed, I, I believe, with polio, but I could be wrong on that one. No, it's, it's from polio. Okay. And Goodbye, Christopher Robin, directed by Simon Curtis, starring Don Hall Gleason, who some people may recognize from About Time and, of course, Star Wars The Force Awakens. And Margot Robbie also stars in that. Then we have the following weekend, The Snowman, directed by Tomas Alfredson, who did Let the Right One In. This is a mystery thriller starring Michael Fassbender and Rebecca Ferguson. We have Geostorm, the latest spectacle by Dean Devlin, which, if you see the trailers, it looks just as ridiculous as any of his other spectacles. Yeah, but the, they released one trailer, and it looked like a natural disaster happening. Right. And then they released another trailer, and then, oh, we're controlling that? Humans are controlling that? Yeah, okay. controlling the weather, yeah. So it gets weirder and weirder every time. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know about that. So, then we have Boo 2, Amadea Halloween. Leatherface, which, guess what that's about. And then we have Wonderstruck, which is Todd Haynes' latest film. He who directed Carol a couple years ago. This stars Julianne Moore, Michelle Williams. And we wrap up October with... Suburbicon, directed by George Clooney and written by the Coen brothers and Grant Heslov. Jigsaw, the latest Saw film. Killing of a Sacred Deer, directed by Yogos Lanthimos of The Lobster a couple years ago, which we were we um, were fans of, starring Colin Farrell once again. And Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. That's Stars Luke Evans as Professor Marston, Rebecca Hall, and Bella Heathcote. 
So, Shanna, what are you looking forward to most in October? It's, it's a pretty packed month. I'm really looking forward to Breathe by Andy Serkis. It just looks beautiful and charming and kind of reminds me of the theory of everything where oh, there's, yeah. something, mm-hmm. there's something that this couple is going to... Uh, is going to happen in their lives and they love each other so dearly and that love is such a force that they're going to break through whatever the issue is. Well, at least the wife is going to be the catalyst for for working through it, yeah. It looks like there's also going to be one or two uncomfortable moments for, for me. Um, it looked like that polio was possibly this really huge thing that happened and the paralyzing was a common thing in mm. particular. And it looks like they developed some sort of structure where it looks like morgue drawers. It, the iron lawn is what it looked uh, like it was, yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> am going to have to breathe through that because <laughs> it just feels so cruel and you might as well just die. So it looks like it's going to be a great film and everybody knows how much I love Andy Circus, so I'm looking forward to that. Then I also think that Florida Project is, when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, eye candy. They must have shot at different locations, or maybe they didn't, to get those beautiful places. Mm. But it just looks beautiful. It looks so tasty for the eyes. Mm. Um, And it also looks like it's going to be one of those cleansing cries you know <laughs> where it's it's okay to cry and you're gonna feel good afterwards mm. which i'm hoping i'm right with that det- that estimation yeah because <laughs> if i'm not i'm, I'm really sorry <laughs> yeah it's, it's a lot different from his previous film which you should check out uh, called tangerine that was uh, a critic's favorite that year and is uh definitely worth seeking out and then i'm also looking forward to wonderstruck Everybody knows how I feel about time, and it mm. looks like they're really going to play with the play with that in this one. And not only is the film going to be color, but it's also going to have black and white, and we just don't get enough of that anymore. And I feel like if you do black and white photography now, it's just so different mm. to how black and white started. Mm. It was so full of grain, and it wasn't always... It was just, it was a different feel. And now it's so clean and crisp. It's totally different. So I feel like, why aren't we playing with that more? So I'm looking forward to that. What about you? Well, and two years ago, we wouldn't, if you had asked us, are you looking forward to Todd Haynes' next movie or whatever he makes next? You and I would probably be like, not really, because we were in the minority when it came to Carol. We really weren't, it looked beautiful it was well acted, but we kind of found it to be fairly dull. I, I was really sad about that. Yeah. It was one of those films where I really wanted to love it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I felt really depressed about it afterwards. Yeah, yeah, but uh, the name Todd Haynes wasn't enough to get uh, you, you interested in it, but seeing that trailer, sold, sold you on it. And, and me too, I'm actually very intrigued too. Mm. So for me, though, my three films are... Blade Runner 2049. We talked about the original Blade Runner in the last episode or two. And I'm interested in seeing the sequel after having watched the original recently. But Denis Villeneuve is a director that, like, every single film that he has made has gotten 
more and more interesting and better and better. And his, I, I don't know if he paired with the same cinematographer or not, but he has a style to his films where there's always this amazing cinematography to it. And judging by the trailer, it looks like that's no exception here. And so I'm, I'm very interested, and I hope it'll be as good, if not better, than the original Blade Runner. Yeah, if the trailer is true, a true depiction of what the film's going to be like, it looks like it's going to be quite an interesting contrast palette-wise mm -hmm. and setting-wise compared yeah. to the original, which is going to be really interesting. I feel like oranges and yellows, they're very... They can be very toxic looking, mm. uh, warning looking, mm -hmm. and I feel like it's more popular since I've been around. I feel like before that it was all greens and blacks and reds, and mm. it's going to be wonderful. Yeah, the one thing you just reminded me that is a, a curiosity is the original Blade Runner was really rich in visuals, and... Well, really thought-provoking, but it wasn't very... It wasn't an emotional experience in any way. And so I kind of wonder if this film will be different or if it'll be more of the same in that regard. I'm also looking forward to Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. I have an interest in... I have read a lot about Wonder Woman and Professor uh, Charles Moulton Marston or William Moulton Mar Marston, actually, was his name. And I'm very interested. Luke Evans is not an actor who has interested me too much over the years. I oh, He's never really stood out to me. I feel like Beauty and the Beast was probably his first film where he actually was marginally impressive to me. So I hope he's he doesn't bring a vanilla quality to the lead character here and, and uh, someone who was a very intriguing character um, as a person and I think depicting that marriage and that that household arrangement that they had that is one that could be done completely wrong and over dramatized and done in a way where it's like this is not at all how the people felt about the situation or it could be done really accurately in which it's a lot more nuanced and a little more complicated and very interesting. And I, I would be interested in seeing them act out the, the real version of how that dynamic went down. So I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that. I'm very intrigued by, by that film. And you would be interested, Shannon. It's directed by a woman. It's not a woman I'm familiar with, but that definitely would lend something to it. And Suburbicon... I'm not a fan of every film George Clooney has made. In fact, I might only be a fan of one. Good Night and Good Luck, I feel like, is a great film. And if you haven't seen it, it's worth hunting down and revisiting. You were talking about Black and White. That's a film that's shot in Black and White. Oh, that's pretty cool. But this looks like, you know, you have a mix of George Clooney and the Coen brothers writing a movie. You know, not, not writing a movie that they directed, but having George Clooney direct it, that intrigues me quite a bit. And it has this mix of darkness and humor to it that I think is going to be very interesting. I wonder if it's going to be intended as a, a sort of satire, too, because it is set in 50s suburbia. 
So yeah, I'm interested in looking forward to those films for sure. Shannon, were there any quick mentions you wanted to give to October? Yeah, I'm, I'm also looking forward to Goodbye Christopher Robin. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be really interesting. Yeah, definitely. And I definitely second your interest in the Florida Project. That's a really good trailer. And, you know, I, I, I thought that Tangerine was a fine film. I feel like it was kind of overhyped by critics, for lack of a better term. But it was a good uh, film. It wasn't enough to make me really excited about the next movie the, that Sean Baker would make. But, you know, this trailer definitely intrigues me also. And Wonderstruck, I, I, I definitely second your Wonderstruck. I'm surprised The Snowman wasn't one that, that caught your eye. You seem to really like those kinds of mystery thriller type movies. The That's really is, gory. I've been watching so many TV shows. And mm-hmm. I know you've mentioned this before, but I guess right now it's really bothering me where... Where I've noticed that it's like 18 episodes to one episode. The 18 is where women are dying. Oh, and good God. Yeah, you s- You're is... saying almost all of the movies. Yeah, the shows. I mean, yeah. Bones does a pretty good job of like kind of having it. But okay. so I guess I'm just over, I'm over woman dying and Snowman is, is woman dying. Yeah, I made you aware of it now. <laughs> you did make me aware uh, of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a little more conscious. Yeah, okay, well, let's move on to November. Starting with my birthday weekend, we have Thor Ragnarok, which is directed by Taika Waititi, who did previously one of our favorite uh, vampire movies, What We Do in the Shadows, and two years ago, he did Hunt for the Wilder People, which was a favorite of ours as well. There's a sequel to The Shadows. What? Yeah, you didn't know? No, is it a short film or something? No, it's it's coming out, um, Oh. I think, within the year. And it's the, they're focusing on the wolves. Fascinating. I'll have to keep an eye out for that. So then we have A Bad Mom's Christmas. Last Flag Flying, which is directed by Richard Linklater, who I mentioned previously in the episode. That stars Steve Carell, Brian Cranston, and Lawrence Fishburne as army veterans uh, who are helping one of them with uh, their son who also went to war. Murder on the Orient Express is the following weekend, which is a remake directed by Kenneth Branagh and stars Penelope Cruz, Willem Dafoe, Judy Dench, Johnny Depp, Josh Gad, Derek Jacoby, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Daisy Ridley. We have Daddy's Home 2, the sequel with Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg, this time with Mel Gibson and John Lithgow. <laughs> combo is making me laugh this is great yeah have you seen the trailer to that no i have not it's it i couldn't have cared less until i saw that trailer (laughs) uh lbj directed by rob reiner starring woody harrelson and bill pullman three billboards outside ebbing missouri directed by martin mcdonough who did in bruges of a few years back Paddington 2. Yes, there is a sequel to Paddington from a couple years back, starring Hugh Grant, Brendan Gleeson, and Sally Hawkins. Then we have the following weekend, Justice League, which is DC's tentpole film, which stars all the superheroes. Wonder, starring Julia Roberts and Jacob Tremblay. And then the following week, we have Coco, which is Pixar's latest film. 
with Benjamin Bratt and Gail Garcia Bernal. The Darkest Hour, directed by Joe Wright, who did Atonement and one of my favorite films, Hannah. That stars Gary Oldman. Molly's Game, directed and written by Aaron Sorkin. I think it's his directorial debut. Starring Jessica Chastain, Idris Elba, and Kevin Costner. Death Wish, directed by Eli Roth. Written by Joe Carnahan, which is a director uh, that's interesting. Starring Bruce Willis. It's a remake of the Charles Bronson film. And Villa Capri, directed by Ron Shelton, who I believe was the director of Bull Durham and a pretty decent run back in the late 80s, early 90s. So, Shanna, what films are you looking forward to most in November? My top most anticipated film. Probably of the whole season, right? Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Let's be honest. Is Bad Moms 2. Bad Moms Christmas. Yes. Yeah. And I'm so freaking excited. And my mom is actually going to be here. And so mm. I said to my girlfriends, hey, my mom's going to be here. Maybe we should all go mm. um, on opening night. And so that has actually been put in the calendar. <laughs> I see. <laughs> I will be getting off work early that day to get there for the opening. And I don't care that it's like happening at Christmas because quite frankly if any film is going to pull off a sequel that happens at Christmas it's this one okay so okay that's my number one (laughs) my top one very good I'm also looking forward to Coco I think it's just going to be exquisite I think it's going to make me sob like a baby I think it's going to be fantastic what was that movie from a couple years back that was the book of life that was Beautifully animated, Mm. so badly executed. Mm. There was one particular character that just really got under my skin Mm. um, and was just such a stereotypical, old, terrible depiction of a woman. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what Pixar does. Yeah, I'm hoping it's a better version of that. With this land, this theme. And anything else? Yes, I am looking forward to Molly's Game with Jessica Chastain and Mm. Idris Elba. At first, I was really upset because I don't want to watch the mountain one. Oh, the mountain between us? Yeah, I I don't want to watch that. I think that's just going to kill me. Okay. And I was really sad because I love Idris Elba, Mm. and I feel like he's not in enough. Oh, really? I feel that way, and anything that he is in, I I really want to see. But, of course, if it's a film that I really... I'm feeling like this would wreck me. <laughs> I need to not see it. I was really sad about missing out on him. And then I saw Molly's game and I was like, and we're good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Well, I am looking forward to Thor Ragnarok. This is not a movie that at the beginning of year I was particularly excited about for whatever reason. Which is unusual because I'm usually fairly excited about all the Marvel movies. But for some reason... Maybe it was the Thor 2 that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. Because that movie was fairly... It wasn't terrible. It was just very mediocre. And and I had a lot of issues with it. But I don't know. I've gotten more and more excited as time has gone on about Ragnarok. It's because Thor says, I know him from work, isn't it? I mean, not (laughs) not exactly. But that that was definitely a highlight of the trailer. And apparently... 
that line was made up by a kid who was visiting, like a Make-A-Wish kid or something like that. What? He was visiting the set, and he said, like, you should say to Hulk, you know, I know him from work or something like that. That's so great. Yeah, yeah. Now that line, which I usually laugh at, is actually going to make me laugh cry. Oh, shame. (laughs) So, yeah, there's that. And I, I can't help but be excited about Justice League. Now... Bear in mind, I really was not a fan of Suicide Squad, and I was not a fan at all of Batman v Superman. I really, really, really was looking forward to that movie, and that was a huge letdown for me. But Wonder Woman was spectacular, and the trailer to Justice League, I just the 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 comic book nerd Aquaman. in me, the the comic book Aquaman. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. I get it. <laughs> Aquaman's hot. Okay. But the, 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 the comic book geek in me just can't help but get excited when he sees that trailer to Justice League. So I'm definitely going to be there when that opens. I hope that it's not going to break anyone's heart. I hope oh, that this is, their, this is their saving movie. Oh, goodness. It better be. I know that they've... Well, I, I think it's rumored that they've made some changes since Wonder Woman came out. So we'll see. And then lastly, I think I'm, I'm curious about Last Flag Flying. Because, again, it's Richard Linklater. And I feel like just about anything he makes is worth a look. The trailer of the film is, is very interesting. It looks like the three leads are going to have a very good dynamic, a good uh, camaraderie to it. And uh, they're going to probably carry whatever the story is of the film. So uh, I'm... I'm definitely interested in checking uh, that film out. Uh, so, any other quick mentions you want to give? Yes, I'm also looking forward to Thor. I'm also looking forward to Wonder. I think that's going to be an ugly crime movie, though. Mm. And It I'm, could be, like, really schmaltzy, too. We'll see yeah. how it goes. But I want to watch Julia Roberts, and I want to watch Owen Wilson. I think that's a good combo. And then, you know, our steps, uh, my stepson keeps talking about this book, Wonder. Oh, is it based on that? Lovey, it's the blue book, yeah, sky blue, with the graphic of the face. It's an ab- adaptation of that? Yeah. I did not know that. And at first, you know, our son said that to me. I was like, wait, what? And then it made sense, so... Fascinating. I did not realize that. And I'm also looking forward to Murder on the Orient Express, and I haven't seen really? the original. Mm. So I'm thinking <gasps> what See, I'll do. See, that's the problem right there. What I'll do is I'll watch that one first. Yes. And then I'll watch the original because I never want to. Oh, you, do, you don't want to watch the original first? No, because I oh. might be disappointed. Oh, see, I'm counting on disappointment because so I've this seen. This is why this guy's <laughs> have to deal with. And... So I'm a, I'm a fan of the original. The original is one of the best murder mystery films I have ever seen, and I don't want to. I don't want to give away the mystery at all. No, but because Shanna's going to watch it and guess it accurately. Yeah, but it, to <laughs> me, it was definitely one of those movies that does not need to be remade at all. Kenneth Branagh has been very hit and miss in recent years, and I'm not really impressed at his Poro. In the trailer, and nothing about that trailer excites me about this I movie. I love him. I love him as an actor. Right? Yeah. But it's like you say, you only get one for all. So. <sighs> yeah. So, yeah. I, I'm not as excited about that one as you. 
But what movies are you excited about coming up this fall season? It's going to be one hell of an awards season, that's for sure. Go ahead and email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. And with that, we move on into our final segment of the episode, Film Faves. In this episode, we will be highlighting our favorite films of 2008. Now, for those who are new to the show, Film Faves is where we count down our respective lists of 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. Most of the time, we are counting down through the years our favorites year by year. Our purpose of this is not only to give you a better sense of our tastes in movies, but also, more importantly, to hopefully highlight some movies that you can go back and check out. And for that purpose, we try to bring to your attention where you can find some of these movies, specifically with a focus on Netflix, Amazon Prime, HBO, and Hulu. Because let's face it, there's a bajillion streaming services out there, and we can't uh, highlight every single one. But those four or five core ones is what we try to focus on. Most uh, films can be found uh, available to rent on Amazon if you don't have Prime. With that, Shanna, why don't you get us started with your number 12 favorite movie of 2008. My number 12 absolutely kills Jeff. And it's the Indiana Jones Kingdom of the Crystal Skull movie. <laughs> and it is it, available to stream on Hulu and Prime. Any real fan of Indiana Jones should be screaming at the mic right now. Okay, you go <laughs> for it. You let but, it out. But we don't ever criticize our favorites, typically. Oh, don't you know, we? Because so I feel I will, like you just threw me under the bus. Well, you opened the door, so I'm closing it. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a butt. <laughs> I liked this movie when it came out. I think I was especially drawn to Shia LaBeouf when he does his, when he does his like a uh, greaser thing. Uh, I like the whole greaser thing, and I love that scene when, you know, the greasers are against like the preppy boys. Is that what they are? Probably. I don't okay. remember that well. I'm not really sure what it's actually called in America, but my mom and I would love that scene. Mm. And uh, that's my number twelve. What's yours? Well, I'm going to start my list off with Woody Allen's Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Now, to give some context, <laughs> I really I haven't seen every single movie that Woody Allen's ever made. The guy's made like 40 or 50 movies, and he's really been a hit or miss director, especially the past 20 years, maybe 30 years, actually. I feel like Vicky Cristina Barcelona was the first movie of his that I liked in a long time. It was definitely my favorite of his starring Scarlett Johansson. But for those who aren't familiar, Scarlett Johansson, Rebecca Hall, both star as two women who are going on a vacation to um, Barcelona. They get accosted by an older man played by Javier Bardem who proposes to them that they both go and spend the night with him, and they the three of them have sex. Which Rebecca Hall, being the sensible one, is like, um, no, bugger off. And Scarlett Johansson, being the more fun one, once again, is kind of like, really, I'm intrigued. You know, or you could say loose. I'm Open. not going to defame 
the name. I'm not going to defame Scarlett Johansson one bit. But, mm-hmm. and then Penelope Cruz eventually figures in as an ex-lover of Javier Bardem's. And the actors alone make it work. It's at times funny, but in a different way for a Woody Allen film. And I don't know, it's great. It's been years since I've seen it, and I'm actually itching now to, to go revisit it. That's Vicky Cristina Barcelona. My number 11 is Cloverfield, and that's available to stream on Hulu and Amazon Prime. And it's just a really great thriller. And it's interesting. What do you call it? First person camera? Selfie? What do you call S- it? Selfie? No, not <laughs> selfie. Found footage. Oh, That's what it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, Cloverfield? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I had seen Cloverfield Lane. No, 10 Cloverfield Lane. I had seen 10 Cloverfield Lane first. Right. And this is actually the one you're supposed to watch first. But kind if you want to have I mean... fun. You can do either or. Yeah. They're loosely connected enough that it doesn't matter. I actually too much, preferred. But... Ten Cloverfield Lane, and then this one. It is a better film, too. Yeah. 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 Whereas if you can't get through this one, you know, you might not get to the really good one. So. Right. Yeah, they're, they're not filmed the same way. Ten Cloverfield Lane's not a, a first-person perspective one. So for me, it's Darren Aronofsky's The Wrestler, with an amazing performance by Mickey Rourke, who kind of had a brief comeback thanks to this film. Unfortunately, he followed it up with Iron Man 2, which was another mediocre Marvel film. But, say la vie, you have The Wrestler, where he stars with Marissa Tomei and Evan Rachel Wood, and everybody's bringing their A-game. Darren Aronofsky's bringing his A-game. Prior to this, Aronofsky did The Fountain, which I wasn't too keen on, but he really got my attention prior to that with Requiem for a Dream, which I absolutely love. And The Wrestler isn't nearly as difficult to sit as that film is. But, you know, he has a, a real grounded realism to his story. And not everything is rosy. It's not a, a feel-good. Not everybody's life is feel-good. Some people are just trying to redeem themselves uh, to people in their lives. And also trying to have some degree of success in their life's work. Yeah, it's a great film. Number 10 is Rachel Getting Married. It's available to stream on Hulu. I just really love awesome. Anne Hathaway. And Jonathan and, Demme, who passed away earlier this year. Yeah, and it's a good film to watch if you're, if you're feeling neutral. Because it is a little heavy. Mm. But I also thought it was a good story. Yeah, and... There are definitely some awkward and very uncomfortable moments, thanks to Anne Hathaway's character, and, and she, she handles it very well, his, uh, her performance there. That's an awesome pick. My number 10 is Bolt. I feel this is Disney's first good movie in over a decade. God, that movie makes me just crab buckets. Well, you know, it's a dog movie. But I feel like after... The Lion King, Disney just slowly, steadily went down into mediocrity, and their only highlights for a while were Mulan and Tarzan. Then the 2000s hit, and they were no longer the top dog in animation and people worth watching for a while. But Bolt is the movie that got them back on their feet 
and they had a very long stretch of success since then that I think is still continuing to this day. I mean, what was the movie they had most recently? Moana. So I think Bolt is what started this long streak, and it's beautifully animated. It's just very colorful. It's very vibrant. It's uh, very, I don't know, it's fun. It's moving. It's funny. I actually really want to sit down and watch it right now. <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen this one, too. But um, it was, 2008 was a really great year for animation. And, oh, uh, I agree. And this is one of those great examples. Uh, so, My number nine is Slumdog Millionaire, and that's available on HBO. The music was just fantastic. The format of the storytelling alongside the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire uh, <laughs> reality. Right. Or, reality tv show the game show it's a game, game show, show. Yeah. and i just thought that was really interesting how everything sometimes everything just jives in your life everything comes together just like in that moment and the colors were beautiful and again music was fantastic awesome my number nine is man on wire which you can find oh, I on netflix and hulu which is one of the best documentaries I have seen. And we've had a great run of documentaries in the past 15, 20 years. But this was definitely top shelf, probably top 10 documentaries. For those who aren't uh, aware, this is about the Frenchman who plotted to be able to create a wire. He was a, he was a high wire guy, kind of a street performer. And he plotted to create a wire that he would walk across... That ran between the two towers of the World Trade Center. Of the World Trade Center. But what's fascinating about this documentary is it plots it like a heist film. And so it's kind of edge your seat exciting. It, it has a riveting aspect to it. But also, it's incredibly moving. It's, it's, it definitely has a very interesting take on this guy's entire purpose of doing this? Why would you do something like that, you know? And what was the result of, of doing so? That's, that's a great documentary. You should check it out while it is still available on Netflix and Hulu. Man on Wire. My number eight is Kit Kittredge, and it's available to stream on Hulu. It's one of my favorite American Girl doll movies. It has fantastic color, it deals with a very difficult time in America. It deals with the Depression mm. and how Kit is trying to create income to help her family and how her family is separated. Father has to go work in a bigger city, and so he's away mm. for very long periods of time. She's very close with her father, but that's all they can do to try and keep their house. And it just shows how a lifestyle can change. They weren't, you know very rich or anything. In fact, they looked like they had very little mm. and they were trying to keep what very little they had by bringing in borders. It also dealt with homeless situation because there mm. were people in informal settlements and they had an inter a very particular stereotypical view of what they referred to as hobos. Mm -hmm. And Kit and her friends get exposed to that and they realize, oh, 
nobody really asked for this situation. It's just how some people are dealing with the situation. Right. Um, and so it was a very compassionate movie. Very cool. Very cool. My number eight is Kung Fu Panda, which is available hey. on Netflix. I feel like at the time, DreamWorks was really leaning heavily on their Shrek franchise to the point of doing it to death. Nauseam. Yeah, and they really weren't creating anything else that was to the level that Pixar was was creating, let's say, in animation stuff, right? They were making basically babysitter movies, you know, very frivolous stuff. Kung Fu Panda definitely was their next big uh, franchise that actually helped raise the bar again. Yes, you have basic level of sense of humor from Jack Black's Poe sometimes, you know, he's, he's, he's a panda that's not very wise, and he's all about eating. Well, he's but, very free-flowing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's something very endearing about the character and the story, and the, the villain works really well. It and is a great villain. Yeah, you know, I know that they tried to really hype up the cast, but mostly the cast, like, most of those names are really just side side characters who get, like, you know, maybe five minutes worth of dialogue <laughs> throughout the entire movie. Lucy Liu is an example of that, Jackie Chan to an extent. Anyway, but this is a really fun movie, and I think it's really up there. It's a it's a franchise that really took it up to another level with its sequels. Well, and it's held up really well, too. Yeah. The sequels haven't really, you know, gone down. No, quality. no. In fact, the no. animation gets better and Oh, better. yeah, absolutely. Like, I love the animation in the third one. Oh, yeah, they're actually trying to do something with this series, and Kung Fu Panda starts it all off. So that's... Uh, that's my pick, and you can find it on Netflix. My next one is Secret Life of Bees, and that's available to stream on HBO. There's lots of stuff on HBO. Yeah, you got an HBO list, which is very exciting. Yeah. I love HBO so much. <laughs> I wish they'd sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> so, I loved this movie. It was. It stars Dakota Fanning, Queen Latifah. You've got other names in there, too. Isn't Lawrence Fishburne in that, too? I don't. I don't think so, my love. Are you sure? I mean, I'm. I'm. I'm pretty certain he is not. And this is a great story. It's uh, taking place during the civil rights movement, I believe. And here's Dakota Fanning, who is being looked after by her African American nanny, and her African American nanny wants to go and vote. And the town that they're living in uh, essentially forces her not to. And they decide to run away, and she goes on this journey with her nanny and figures out who she is, and so does her nanny. Her nanny finds her voice, uh, which already was existing, but then they land up staying with Queen Latifah and her two sisters, Mm. who are very strong, very powerful women, and very respected women. You're right. I was thinking of Akilah and the Bee, which stars Lawrence Fishburne, but... This movie is the only one of three films directed by Gina Prince, by the way, that I have not seen. Uh, She did Love and Basketball, which I've been trying to get you to to watch for some time. And uh, she did another movie that I saw, uh, too, which was pretty good. Beyond the Lights. And I also feel like this is a good example of letting go. Certain people in this film have to learn to let go. Mm. And certain people have to learn to be okay with that so that they can move to the next step in their life. 
Awesome. I need to catch up with that one. Maybe I'll take advantage of it being on HBO. Next for me is Slumdog Millionaire, which uh, you mentioned. It was the Oscar winner uh, for that year. It's available also on HBO. And not only was this an eye-opener for little Pacific Northwestern white boy me about what India is like, or can be like, the real India, but the music. Oh, man, this is one of my favorite soundtracks in it. It is just so cool. You know, it, it was the most popular song that was on the soundtrack was Paper Planes by, I think her name was M.I.A., which I don't know what if she's doing anything now, if she's popular now, but that was a huge... You heard that song everywhere that year. It's a really great song. Definitely fit the, the movie really well, but there's so many. Jai Ho, which actually won an Oscar. I love I that. love that. Like, that's a closing number. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the music is just great. And Dev Patel's great. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think Frida Pinto is the female lead. She's great. Uh, you know, I definitely want to see more of her after this movie. So, yeah, fantastic film. Uh, Danny Boyle is a really great director. I mentioned 127 Hours in a previous episode. Another favorite of mine. He's done a lot of great films. Has he got anything coming out this year? Not that I saw, but we should look into that. Danny Boyle is definitely... Oh, wait, no, he had already. He had uh, his sequel to Trainspotting came out this year. T2, Train Spotting, which, you know, some people like, some didn't. We didn't catch up with it. But anyway, yeah, Slumdog Millionaire on HBO. My next one is Gran Torino, and this was something that my parents had watched, and they had said, you have to watch this. It is definitely a movie your parents, any parents, <laughs> yeah. would watch. It was quite fantastic, and just my parents' interpretations of the film versus mine were, were kind of different, too. But it always came back to this whole remembering to respect and mm. not only respect elders, you know, not not allow yourself to get all walking over, but to give them respect, to give them love, to give them time, but then also respect of other cultures. Like, you shouldn't be touching the kid on the head. Um, <laughs> so it was really subtle, really interesting, and what a fantastic... Oh, I can't give it away. But such a great ending, guys. Just go check it out. Hmm. My next movie is Wally. See what I mean about the animation of that year? Mm-hmm. We got Bolt, we got Kung Fu Panda, we got Wally. That's a perfect trifecta of animated movies that year. There are other good ones, but never nothing else that really rose, in my opinion, to the levels of these three films. And Wally not only was hands down the most beautiful animated film of that year, but come on, the first 30 minutes of the movie is a silent film. How ballsy is that to do for an animated film, a, a film that parent, that American audiences are going to be taking their kids to? It's not ever bothersome, you know? It doesn't drag. It's not slow. It's It builds its world, builds its character. Everything is great until um, Eve arrives. And then we get whisked off in this interesting adventure that is also beautifully animated. It's similar to Up in that you know, the second half of the movie becomes a, a slightly different movie. But still, it's really hard to, to resist this film. If I remember correctly... 
when we did our Pixar marathon, I believe we named this in our top five favorite Pixar films. Did we not? Um, probably. Yeah, we did. That was that was in both of our top five Pixar films, and yeah, it stood up for sure. So yeah, that's all I have to say about that. My next one is Tropic Thunder, and it's available to stream on Netflix. This is one of those films, I felt the same way about 21 Jump Street. I was like, what the frick is this? It looks stupid as hell, but oh my god, it was so funny. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. pulls in that guy, and he's like, we cannot use that name. It is the name of the people, and we must give it power, or not give it power, or something like that. And <laughs> the face on that character yeah. was just hilarious. <laughs> It's kind of like he, he, that character was the one feeling how I felt, like, what the fuck is going on? Right. Through the, throughout the whole film, and <laughs> just surprisingly hilarious. That, that, that was a movie I eventually showed you, was it not? Because you had that initial resistance to the film? Well, yeah, and I think I stumbled across it one day at a bad scene, and I was like... Oh, hell no. <laughs> like, what bad scene? I cannot remember, but you know, if you watch that movie a little out of context and just fall mm. upon it, and you're not prepared for the craziness that is about to ensue, mm. it, it can be a little like, what? Mm. Yeah, you probably, you probably said, oh, you haven't seen the whole thing, and you showed it to me. Yeah. And aren't you glad I did? Yes. My next one is Role Models. 2008 was a great year for comedy as well, and Role Models was one of those that surprised the hell out of me. You know, you see when you see Sean William Scott on a poster, you think, oh, it's going to be one of those movies. <laughs> you know, this is Stifler from American Pie, you know? And so you can only expect so much. But, no, wrong. This is actually not only hilarious but it's it's one of those movies with heart it's got you know a lot of heart you know it's about these two guys paul rudd and sean william scott and they they screw up and they end up finding themselves in a situation where they have to do community service and that community service is to participate in a kind of a big brother program and they take on these two kids who are completely different personalities, completely different personalities from who they are, and they have a hard time connecting with. Well, the black kid, I cannot, I don't know who he is. I hope he went on to do something awesome that I'll be delighted by. But he is hilarious. He's got the worst mouth. And the things <laughs> come out of his mouth is awesome. And his dynamic with Sean William Scott is great. Christopher Mintz Plass is kind of stretching his age a little bit here, playing a, a teenage geek who's really into LARPing, which is the live-action oh, yes. role-play, you know, Renaissance Fair type stuff. And, I don't know, it's very sweet, and it's particularly how it treats the Christopher Mintz-Plass character. Yeah, I just... I, that movie's always stuck with me as one of the biggest surprises of the year. So, I love it. My number four is Wally, And... It's not available to stream anywhere, but we have been hearing talk about Disney creating their own streaming service where everything Disney would be there. Mm -mm. But I don't believe that that's live yet, is it? No, that's going to be down the line. But quite frankly, anything by Disney or Pixar, I think people should buy. So Except cars. 
Accept cars. Avoid cars. Okay. No cars. Yes. <laughs> or airplanes. Oh, that was that was Disney Tunes, which which you shouldn't you should always run away from Disney, Disney Tunes. Tunes. Always. <laughs> so I just fell in love with this movie. Mm-hmm. I believe that we did not. My brother and I did not get to see this in the cinema. Oh, you poor things. Yeah, but you know. My parents had a sort of movie room projector screen set up, so we got to watch it there. And I was just, like, jaw on the floor. Mm. Like, watching the highlighting, the shadows, mm-hmm. the, the sculpting of this world. Especially was, for your brother, who is really into animation design back yeah. then. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was so jaw-dropping and then, you know, it becomes this sort of love story <laughs> between robots, and then it becomes this proving that they have souls, personalities. Mm. And my favorite robot, I think, is, is not actually Wally, although I love Wally, mm-hmm. but my favorite character is Mo, who's trying to clean up everything. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just trying so hard to do his job. Yeah, he's <laughs> very funny. I loved... The, the commentary on society, um, you know, our laziness does tend to get the better of us. And that was interesting seeing how kind of everything became automatic, not mm. just the robots, but the people. And the people were on autopilot and the robots had to break away from their autopiloting. And then the people followed mm. suit. So I thought that was just point. so fantastic. Yeah, very cool. My fourth favorite movie of 2008 is Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. Did you like that sequel? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> See, I thought Hellboy from, I think, 2006, if I remember correctly, was good, but it wasn't great. It, it really it, it was fine as a comic book uh, superhero movie. It was all right. Golden Army really took it to this next level in terms of imagination, creativity, production design, action, story. I mean, it, there's a lot of things it's juggling. You know, with Abe, it, there's things it's juggling with with Hellboy himself and Selma Blair's character, whose name escapes me right now. There's, you know, the, the main action of the story, the, the conflict with this elf prince, and the threat of the Golden Army. I thought he was an ugly-looking little thing. The, the, the world that they go into, this fantasy world that they go into, is really when the movie really gets going and opens up, and it's just amazing character designs, and, and very, very cool yeah, I think this is definitely one of those cases where the sequel is better than the original, and it's a shame that we never got to see anything else uh, from this world. Uh, they are, in fact, currently rebooting the Hellboy franchise, oh, no. which I have mixed feelings about I right now. I thought they did pretty good the first time. Oh, Guillermo del Toro did a great job, particularly with the sequel, uh, The Golden Army. That's uh, definitely one of my f- uh, favorite movies, number four for 2008. My number three is The Dark Knight. Really? It's your number three? Yes. Very cool. So I really enjoyed Heath Ledger. I mean, that's kind of why it's up there. Mm. I had enjoyed Batman Begins, Mm. but, you know, I didn't really enjoy Batman. 
Oh, really? I, I don't know why. Oh. Maybe I just need to revisit it. But at the yeah, time, sure. at the time, I was like, really? Mm. I, I think I have a problem with the actor. Christian uh, Bale? I, not like a problem, but just like a... Sometimes he rubs me up the wrong way. And he I, rubs you up the wrong well, way. Well, I think it's his I face. need to have some words with Christian, apparently. <laughs> just sometimes that happens. In other movies, I think I'm fine. But maybe I was... I don't know. Uh, but Heath Ledger, you know, just the little mannerisms that he developed for the Joker mm. made it thrilling and terrifying. And I, I feel really sorry for anyone who has to play the Joker oh, after him. totally. They just, they don't stand a chance. Yeah, no matter um, how good an actor they are, really, I mean, that, that's not 100% accurate to say, but Jared Leto is a fine actor. Yes. But I do not think his, his Joker holds a candle to Heath Ledger's. No, no. No. <laughs> My third favorite film of 2008 is Tropic Thunder, which is available <laughs> on Netflix. It is, I, I think it is the most, one of the most brilliant comedies to come out that year, one of the most brilliant comedies to come out that decade. It's one of the best movies about movies. Robert Downey Jr., his, he, you know, he... <laughs> Yeah, this and Iron Man in one year, man. <laughs> that is a hell of a year. That's a good comparison, you know. And too. and he really wasn't doing a lot before this. To put it in context, you know, he had Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, directed by Shane Black, about four years before, and he was really kind of working his way out of his personal problems, as I understand it, and trying to get his career going again. And boy, did he in two thousand eight, man. Yeah, I feel like he had a really great. Reset. And this character, who's like so method, he, he tints his skin black. And he even, he said he won't quit till he does the commentary to the movie. And he does. <laughs> if you've ever listened to the commentary I to the movie, oh, can we listen it's to that? brilliant. I know that we're working on our commentary list, but that needs to come yeah, first. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious. And But come on, like let's not give anybody else short shrift. Jack Black is great in it. Ben Stiller is fantastic. He parodies this kind of schmaltzy Oscar Bates drama that you see come about from time to time. And he goes full retard, which has been a meme and one of many quotes from that Those movie. Those are the words they use, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. is just... But come on! Also, speaking of career resuscitation, Tom Cruise... Who, at, prior oh, to God. this... yes, that was great! Yeah, prior to this, he was kind of in jail as far as the audiences were concerned because of his, his, his personal behavior. And he, he makes this appearance as Les Grossman, who is clearly based on real-life producers, on just an exaggerated version, I hope. And he's got the foulest it's, mouth it's and the biggest attitude. probably a little bit from attitude. Column A and a little bit from Yeah, A. Yeah, he's got the biggest ego and he is unrecognizable to most people. In yes, it. I didn't know it was him. Yeah. Which explains why I forgot again. I mean, he's wearing like prosthetic fingers, to, like like fat <laughs> fingers and things like that, you know? So yeah, it's a brilliant film. These Tropic guys Thunder. must have had so much fun oh, for sure. doing this film. <laughs> for sure, yeah. And it's, you'll have fun watching it on Netflix. My second most favorite movie of that year is Horton Hears a Who. What? Really? Yes. More than The Dark Knight and all these other movies. I will watch that thing over and over and over again. And when I'm babysitting and the kids are like, Horton Hears a Who, and if another kid disagrees, I'm like, well, 
looks like we're doing Horton. And <laughs> it is just, I had never read the book. Mm. It just really? Like, yeah. Oh, wow. We, we weren't a Dr. Seuss family. <gasps> um, See, that's an American, like, staple in, in here. I, I don't think it was around in mm. my early years, and I feel like you have to give it in the early years. Oh, yeah, totally. Totally. Because um, if, if you do it at, like, age 10, I mean, it's like... Oh, younger than that, is, even. What yeah. the hell is that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. Oh, what a fantastic story. And what great execution of it. And if you watch the behind the scenes and the production, you have these actors figuring out how Horton is supposed to move because Horton does a bunch of crazy things mm. as an elephant. And what they do is they're filming themselves trying to figure out the movement so they can animate it. Mm. And just the voice acting was really good, too. So I highly recommend that film. And they had the, these fantastic little moments. Like, they really had fun with the animation. And all of a sudden, it would t- turn into anime, manga sort of animation during an attack. I do not remember that. It's when Horton is psyching himself up to protect the world, the little world on the... On the, fl- on the little flower. On the flower. Yeah. And... He's talking about how he's going to do this, and he's going to be careful, and he's going to have his trusty sidekick. And all of a sudden, a branch hits him in the face, and he's like, oh. And there's, like, tears streaming down his face in pure, you know, Japanese animation style. It's by Blue Sky, who did Ice Age, but it's distributed by Fox. Oh, gotcha. And it's from the people who brought you Ice Age, so that tells you how good they've been doing. I think, yeah, I think Horton's one of the, is, is the best movie they've ever made. Yeah, when Horton came out, I thought that, oh, they're going to pull away from Ice Age. That's great. Good for them. Mm. It looks like that's a no. Not really. Not really. Just a little blip. Very cool. My second favorite movie of 2008 is Forgetting Sarah Marshall, starring Jason Siegel, Myla Kunis, Jonah Hill, Russell Brand, and Kristen Bell. It was like auditions for Bad Moms. <laughs> How so? Oh, because Kristen Bell and Myla Kunis. First of all, Kristen Bell is really good at playing a bitch when she wants to. Oh, oh, she is fantastic. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, and she basically continues a version of this character in a way in The Good Place. But Myla Kunis is is incredibly irresistible in this movie as the cool girl that Jason Siegel meets when he's trying to get away, just clear his mind, by going to Hawaii after a terrible breakup with the incredibly vacuous and, and bitchy Kristen Bell. And lo and behold, he finds out that his ex-girlfriend is vacationing on the same island in the same resort with her new boyfriend, played by Russell Brand, who is... I think I think he's hilarious uh, in this movie. This this is my favorite comedy of a year that is full of great comedies. Jason Siegel is one of my favorite guys. I praised "I Love You, Man" in a previous episode, which I think came out the the next year. Yeah, he's just got a relatable aspect to him. Anyway, so yeah, it's great cast, hilarious writing, and. And my second favorite movie of 2008. My top favorite film of 2008 is Rock and Roller. Oh, really? <laughs> the Guy Ritchie film. Yes, it's a crime 
a crime thriller film and it's just it involves mobsters it involves people trying to play for both sides it involves russia <laughs> russian mobsters it involves land deals it is it has uh some of the main characters being gerard butler Gerard Butler, who is probably one of his only good movies. Mm -hmm. Tom Hardy, Mm. Tandy Newton, Idris Elba is even in it. Wow. Toby Kibble was, you know, my family's favorite character. There's Mm. a line he has when his father thinks that he's dead and all of a sudden he's not. And it's not a spoiler because you see him straight away. And he says, you shouldn't have wasted all your money on those schools, daddy. And... My family thinks it's hilarious because my parents did waste a lot of money on schools. Shame. <laughs> my brother and I ended up doing sort of trade work, I guess, which you don't need a high, high education for that. Mm. Um, Mark Strong is a favorite. He's the right hand to Tom Wilkinson and lots of antics ensue and things look insane and stupid stuff happens and mm. it's just really fun. All right, well... Is that, you able to find that anywhere? I don't think that you can find this anywhere. Oh, look, it's on HBO. <laughs> My favorite movie of 2008 is The Dark Knight, which is available on HBO. So everybody talks about Heath Ledger, and they should talk about Heath Ledger, as he created an iconic performance. But nobody talks about... Poor Aaron Eckhart, who brought to screen the best Harvey Dent, Two-Face, and one of the most visually stunning renditions of Two-Face. I remember at the time wondering, how the hell did they do that? Having no idea that they did like basically a motion capture thing with his face at that time. Because it looked so real and so lifelike. It was amazing. His character is actually the, the, the thing that the entire plot really leans on. Because he plays this guy who's really noble, who, who's good for once, who no one can really tear down or character assassinate. And he wants to make a difference in Gotham. And he is actually Batman's hope at actually being able to make a difference government-wise to, in Gotham City. And all it takes, Joker just, you know, taking a page from the Killing Joke storyline, proves that all it takes is one bad day, and any good person can turn out like the Joker. And also, props to Maggie Gyllenhaal, who really had, I feel like, the thankless job of taking over from Katie Holmes in in her role, which I um, actually liked Katie Holmes in Batman Begins. And Maggie Gyllenhaal is a great actress, and she does a fine job in this film. So it is a a great film. It's more than just a Batman film. It is a great crime film, one of the best of the entire decade. And in all honesty, how can it not be my favorite film of 2008? It is, by by many people, the best film of 2008. So... Those are our favorite films of 2008. What is your favorite film of 2008? Email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. That will about do it for us for this episode of The Movie Lovers. Shanna, 
Where can people find you on the internet? People can find me at my, on my various social media channels through my website, www.shannapaxton.com, S-H-A-N-N-A-P-A-X-T-O-N. Awesome. I have various platforms myself, but it's not so easy to find as just one place. Go to Facebook and find us at the Gibson Review. Go to thegibsonreview.com to find all the past episodes and past articles and lists and reviews. Go to iTunes. Subscribe. Leave us a review. You'll find all the episodes on there. Be kind. As always. And you can also find me on Flickchart, the Gibson 99. I'm trying to make Flickchart happen. It's an awesome uh, place for movie lovers, really. Flickchart isn't going to happen. Stop making Flickchart happen. And you get bonus points if you can name that movie I'm quoting. Go away, you. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, next episode of The Movie Lovers, I think we're going to review Band-Aid, which was an indie movie that came out during the summer, which will be available to rent on Amazon pretty soon. And I think we'll either do, if we don't do a theme list, we'll do our favorite movies of 2007. So keep an eye out on that. In the meantime, this is Jeff. And Shanna. Saying goodbye and keep loving the movies. Bye-bye.